Hi, this is Pete Russos, and I want to welcome you to the Journal of Uproarious Growth podcast. In the last episode of this podcast, a few days after the murder of George Floyd, I talked about my sense of despair about the state of our nation and my resignation and questioning of what's the point as these awful sins keep happening. I've continued to think about what I can do in response to the social crisis that George Floyd's murder so tragically represents. I've continued to think about what I can do to not be resigned to despair and the question of what's the point, but rather to focus on the points that I think are important to make and to express myself in words and action, in ways that allow me to feel that I am meeting my responsibility as a human being with integrity. I've been thinking a great deal about what my work as a psychotherapist can help us understand about the isms and obias that are our social ills. Racism, sexism, ageism, elitism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, Islamophobia, religious extremism, to name but a few. When I think about the perpetuation and propagation of these evils, a metaphor that comes to mind is that of a garden. The isms and the obias are weeds. If the garden is maintained and properly nurtured, the weeds won't take root. But if the garden is neglected, or worse, given the wrong fertilizer, these weeds will flourish and grow and choke out all of the good plants around them. Society is the soil. Resources, education, access to health care and economic opportunities and personal interactions and relationships with people who are different from us is what makes the soil healthy and balanced so that those weeds, those isms and the obias cannot take root and flourish or when they begin to sprout as weeds, that they are pulled or denied the things they need to grow so that they shrivel up and die. What is it that fertilizes these hateful weeds? What encourages their growing into virulent weeds that steal the air, light, and life from around them and impoverish everything in their vicinity? When I think about this question of what it is that encourages the growth of these societal cancers, these most unwanted weeds, the answer that I arrive at is entitlement. Before I go any further, I want to bring some words and their meanings into this and draw some important distinctions between terms that are often used interchangeably or thought to be close in meaning. Let's start with the words power and force and what they mean relationally. Force is about trying to control, trying to coerce, trying to manipulate, trying to dominate. Power, on the other hand, is about compassion, collaboration, love, respect, and empathy. Power is the sheriff in Flint, Michigan, and other police officers in other cities and towns around the country, taking off their riot gear and weapons and joining and supporting a peaceful protest. Force is the tear gassing, flash grenading, and violent coercion to get peaceful protesters out of the way so that Donald Trump can get his picture taken holding a Bible in front of a church. 
Bad policing is not an abuse of power. It is an abuse of authority that gets enacted with an abuse of force. Good policing is only possible through the appropriate use of power, but power as I just defined it. To be clear, sometimes force has to be used. When there is a threat, establishing control is necessary. But if the use of force is not managed, informed, and limited by the foundation values and qualities of power, bad and tragic things are far more likely to happen. Assertiveness and aggressiveness are two more important terms. Aggressiveness is the use of force to achieve or express something. Assertiveness is the exercise of power to achieve or express something. If we go back to the metaphor of the garden, Another way to think about this is that force chokes and stifles verdant and healthy growth, while power supports verdant and healthy growth. So what factors determine whether the fertilizer, if you will, will be the type that encourages the abuse of force to flourish or encourages the development and exercise of power? In the context of my work with couples and families, what I observe is that the factor that determines this The thing that determines what the form of the fertilizer in our garden metaphor will be is the form of entitlement that people have for themselves. I believe that entitlement comes in two primary forms. The dangerous form of entitlement, which supports and perpetuates the isms and obias that I mentioned earlier, is when we believe that we are entitled to use force to get what we want, to protect our self-interests, and to behave in a way that is to the detriment of others, to control others, to debase others, to hurt others, or to shame others. This form of entitlement results in aggressiveness and is the driver of cruelty. In this current social crisis, examples of that form of entitlement thinking would be, hey, my ancestors didn't own slaves. Don't blame me for that history. That was 400 years ago. It's time to get over it. Or, there were good people on both sides. Or, I got an education and I'm working hard. If they want to improve their lives, they have to get an education and work harder. Or, poverty is a choice. These ways of thinking are complicit with systemic and personal cruelty. These ways of thinking are an abdication of responsibility and sensitivity to the pain of others, and a denial of the reality that ending poverty will require shared sacrifice by the haves in order to help those who don't have. Let's look at the destructive sense of entitlement and how it plays out between marital partners. The example that comes immediately to mind are cruel and deliberately hurtful expressions of anger, words expressed forcefully to cause hurt by people who say they love each other. When I ask people how they decided to treat their partners in such a way, the response is often, well, that's just how I feel. When I explore this further, what becomes clear is that the person feels entitled to express themselves in whatever ways they want, regardless of the consequences. Often they rationalize their behavior by saying, well, I only said that because of how they treated me. They feel entitled to express their anger in inappropriate ways and almost always think that their partner is not entitled to do so as well. 
An example of the enactment of the dangerous form of entitlement in policing also has to do with respect and language, the way that we speak to each other. This example is when officers who expect to be spoken to respectfully by the people they are supposed to serve speak to those people in aggressive, humiliating, and disrespectful ways from the very start of an interaction. These scenarios represent another aspect of the dangerous and injurious form of entitlement, the expectation that we get to play by a different set of rules than others have to abide by, that others should do or accept things that we ourselves are not willing to do or accept in return. How many of us white men of privilege would send our children to an inner city public school? Hard to imagine that anyone would say out loud that they don't think that all children are entitled to get a good education. And yet how many of us white men of privilege are unwilling to pay more in taxes to improve the education systems in communities of color? This is entitlement thinking that results in education disparities and the perpetuation of the marginalization of poorer communities. When I watched the horrific video of the murder of George Floyd, the police officer kneeling on him and the three other officers involved look like they feel entitled to do what they're doing. People have used the word nonchalant to describe how Officer Chauvin was with his hands in his pocket. There was a cavalier aspect to it, an indifference that for me represents a sense of entitlement about being able to abuse authority and force in that way. The way that George Floyd was treated, his death, like the deaths of so many other people of color at the hands of police officers, are some of the most egregious enactments of the dangerous form of entitlement, and they are vestiges of the legacy of entitlement that allowed slavery to happen and to flourish. This destructive form of entitlement sickens relationships on all levels, the micro levels that are the relationships between spouses and parents and children, and the macro levels that are our towns, cities, counties, states, our country, and our world. Hegemony is a global expression of this dangerous form of entitlement. I referred earlier to the common expectation that goes with this dangerous and injurious form of entitlement, that we get to play by a different set of rules than others have to abide by, that others should do or accept things that we ourselves are not willing to do or accept in return. While the four police officers involved in George Floyd's murder looked like they felt entitled to treat him that way, I can't help but wonder how they would react to a loved one of theirs being treated in that way by other police officers? Would they accept that treatment of their loved one as appropriate policing? Would they accept it as an entitled use of authority? Perhaps the best way to describe the healthy form of entitlement is the golden rule, that we deserve to be treated in the ways that we treat others, that we do not treat others in ways that we do not want to be treated, and what we wish upon others, we wish upon ourselves. Forms of these precepts are found in all of the major religions. When viewed through the lens of the two forms of entitlement, here is a way to think about the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. Peaceful protest is enacting the healthy form of entitlement. 
people are entitled to exercise their power in free speech. They are entitled to have their right to free speech protected, and they are entitled to have the police respect and protect their right to peaceful protest and free speech. Violence, looting, the destruction of property are expressions of the destructive form of entitlement. They are not an adaptive and effective response to injustice. If I bring this back to the dynamics that I see in my office, when marital partners treat each other badly, listening and consideration typically stop. When one partner looks at the other and says something along the lines of, you are a miserable human being, the other partner does not typically think, wow, my partner must be really hurt by what I did. In that moment, they are far less likely to be introspective about themselves, but rather are more likely to be focused on the partner and thinking something along the lines of, there they go again, and to respond in a forceful and aggressive way that is intended to deflect and or hurt. And by the way, silence as a form of withholding is sometimes one of the most aggressive responses that a person can make because it often communicates that I don't care enough about you to offer a response, what you have just said is meaningless to me, or I don't give a shit. When I saw the videos of people looting, I didn't find myself feeling compassionate and thinking, wow, they must really be upset about what is going on. I wonder what their experience is. They must be economically oppressed. I took a step back away from my compassion and was angry at them for taking advantage of a god-awful situation. That is what often happens in response to behavior that stems from the unhealthy form of entitlement and the abuse of force. We stop being curious about the other person's experience. We judge based on limited information and fear. So what does all of this mean for me in terms of what I want to do to make a difference? For one, I need to be willing to examine and critically think about my own sense of entitlement and when I am behaving from the unhealthy form of it, when I am behaving aggressively or forcefully in ways that I would not accept from someone else towards me. I need to live by the golden rule more consistently and challenge myself when I am not. In my work, I have to help my clients better understand the distinctions between the forms of entitlement the difference between power and force, and the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness, so that they can face their choice dilemmas when they treat people in ways that they themselves don't want to be treated. Our families are where enactment and protection of human rights starts. If we treat our loved ones disrespectfully and cruelly, but expect them to treat us well, the unhealthy form of entitlement will take root, will flourish, and will determine how we behave in our families and will influence how we are in the world. I also need to be more willing to speak up when I experience others behaving from an unhealthy entitlement position. The example that comes to mind is when I am silent when someone makes an inappropriate joke or insensitive comment about a marginalized group of people. I've typically just let those comments go not wanting to create tension, but in my avoidance, my silence is complicity. And at the very least, I want to be able to ask the question, tell me how you decided that was an okay thing to say. 
The importance of all of this is that changing behavior requires that we first think differently so that we can take responsibility for changing our behavior and define how and what we need to do to change that behavior. The isms and obias that plague our world are all forms of unhealthy and destructive entitlement thinking that cause and perpetuate suffering. Those forms of thinking have to change, and that starts on the micro level of relationships within the individual and families, and this change thinking has to happen and spread from there to the macro levels of relationships which constitute our neighborhoods, our towns, our cities, our counties, our states, our country, and our globe. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Journal of okay. a Glorious Growth Podcast. Time to bring I'm it Pete home. Russo's. Be well, folks. <laughs>